The Irish Times Inside Politics podcast is going to be holding another live event. This one is in central Dublin on Thursday, May the 16th at 8am. We are going to be in Medley in Dublin too. We only have a few tickets left, so if you want to join me in conversation with head of Ipsos polling in the US, Cliff Young, along with Pat Leahy and Jennifer Bray, looking at the polling in Ireland in the run-up to the European and local elections, just go to irishtimes.com slash events where you can get your tickets. Hello there and you're very welcome to the Inside Politics podcast from the Irish Times. I'm Hugh Linehan. Before we start today, can I remind you that next week we will be taking a look at North and South, the collaboration between the Irish Times and Aaron's that's analysing and researching Ireland, North and South. The project has yielded all sorts of thought-provoking data about the current political climate North and South of the border and about political attitudes towards constitutional change, national identity and political allegiance. We're very keen to put your questions to the project coordinators so please do send in your questions to politicspodcast at irishtimes.com. That's politicspodcast at irishtimes.com. We do always like to hear your voice. So if possible, do send your question as an audio file with the email and do try to get them in if you can by this Saturday, February the 4th. That's politicspodcast at irishtimes.com. Now, today we continue our conversations with the leaders of the smaller parties. Pat Leahy has joined us and it is good to welcome Ivana Bacic, leader of the Labour Party. First time in the studio, I think, Ivana. It is, Hugh, and thank you very much for inviting me in. It's a real treat. I think uh, any previous interviews like this I've done have been over the phone, so it's very nice to be here in person in the lovely Irish Times studio. There is an obligatory question which you must be sick to death of, but I'm going to put it anyway, and I'm sure you're familiar with it. It runs kind of as follows. The party got rid of Alan Kelly because uh, Labour uh, was continuously underperforming in the polls. Nothing has changed in that regard, so... um, is it time for you to go? <laughs> well, not everyone puts that question in quite such an elegant manner, Hugh, as you've just done. Um, I suppose, you know, as you say, it is it, it, uh, ground we've gone over before. And certainly Alan gave a, a number of reasons for his resignation in March of last year. And I was really honoured then to uh, become leader of the party and to get such overwhelming support from members and our branches and constituencies around the country. Um, since then, I've been working really hard touring the country with the team to uh, build support for Labour values, to meet with our local activists and our members. And I suppose what people often overlook about Labour is we're a very well-established party, clearly. We're the longest uh, the party with the longest history in the state because we were founded, of course, before the foundation of the state and the party of the trade union movement. So we have a huge grassroots network around the country with an amazing team of local councillors and local area representatives. And, you know, my priority is growing that team and growing support for Labour values. And uh, certainly, you know, the polls, I, I guess I've been in politics long enough as a, an activist and a senator and now as a TD not to be too focused upon national polls and certainly if I had been too focused on national polls I would never have run as a candidate in the Dublin Bay South by-election in July 2021 because you know all the polls had written Labour off and indeed it was originally intended to or seen as by commentators as going to be a battle between Fine Gael on the one hand and Sinn Féin on the other and what that result showed was that there was in fact a really strong public appetite for a different message of change for that constructive social democratic and socialist message of change that we in Labour were able to deliver and, you know, received such resounding support in the in the by-election. I have to say, of course, because I can see Pat's about to jump in, that there was one poll, you know, that, but in the Irish Times that did show that we were going to, uh, we were doing well. But that was well into the campaign and at the start of the by-election uh, process, when Owen Murphy made his surprise announcement that he was resigning, which I think was in April, late April of 2021, at that point, 
I remember we were being ridiculed at, 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 at any suggestion that we might have a chance of winning a Labour seat in Dublin Bay South. And as I say, the polls were confounded. Those early polls and those early predictions were confounded. So, you know, I don't, I don't seek to put too much focus upon polls and I'm in it for the long haul, Hugh, to answer your final question. Uh, I have no intention of going anywhere and I'm very much enjoying the challenge of being leader of the party. It's, you know, a party I've been involved in all my adult life, been in the party more than 30 years. I was an overnight success in the doll after 30 years was the headline I liked best on election. So I've been around a long time and, you know, I'm really committed to the task and the mission ahead. It is challenging, no doubt, but, you know, this so it's so heartening to be uh, to meet with so many strong, committed Labour supporters, members and activists, to see our new members coming forward, new candidates coming forward, particularly new women candidates coming forward to join us. And uh, and I, I think that just shows that appetite for change that we saw, again, so strongly evidenced in the only electoral contest since 2020. Well, Pat, you're listening to all that. Uh, I'm sure you're familiar with it. Um, could I ask you, first of all, I think Ivana makes, makes a point, and she, I've, I've heard her made it before, which is there's a lot of work going on on the ground. And there is a lot of work that has to go on on the ground when you're looking to revive a political project in the way that needs to happen with Labour, doesn't it? Do we outsiders, do we have any way of getting a sense of how that's going? Or do we have to just take it on trust that it's going very well, as it always seems to be? I think it's going really well for uh, for everyone, yeah. Um, Thanks, Pat. Uh, <laughs> But I think the, the polls must be a concern for uh, Ivana. And leaving aside the uh, leaving aside the justification that was offered in many quarters for the defenestration of the previous uh, leader, being that he wasn't performing in the in the polls, I think you know Ivana would probably admit that there were other internal party issues that were at play there as well. But the continued underperformance in the polls, if that's what it is, if it is an underperformance of Labour's potential in. Uh, in the polls, and maybe Ivana might um, address this uh, part of the the question. Or is it that's simply where the Labour Party is now? I mean, I think if you look at the combined polling totals over a uh, over a period of time of Labour and the Social Democrats, that's probably where the historic trend of uh, of the Labour vote. Was in just sort of a, in eight, a, to eight to ten percent in around ten uh, percent, and clearly there were instances such as a t- spring tide in ninety two and the election of two thousand and eleven, where Labour far outstripped uh, that sort of uh, that sort of number. But give or take ten percent, that's where Labour historically has been. That's where it is at the moment. You combine it with the with the uh, the Social Democrats, so. I don't know uh, if you can address that, Ivana. What do you think? You are underperforming in the polls at the moment, or is it just that the Social Democrats have eaten up a chunk of Labour's vote? Well, to give you a straight answer to that, Pat, um, I do think the national polls do not reflect Labour support on the ground, particularly as our support is inevitably not not across all of consti- every constituency in in Ireland, um, and I think that we'll see uh, we'll see that evidenced in whenever the next general election may be, or indeed in the local and Europeans if if that comes first. I do think also it's worth pointing out that nobody predicted the outcome of the 2020 election and the polls before that certainly did not predict it. And indeed, infamously, of course, even Sinn Féin, who, who did so well in that 2020 election, even Sinn Féin had, had failed to predict the breakthrough that was made then. And we saw polls, therefore, really not reflecting the reality of, of people's vote in the end in that February 2020 election. So I think I think that's one key point. And again, for somebody who's been around as long as I have in politics, it's something that I would 
always bear in mind. And I suppose the other point to make is that, you know, it, it always somewhat amuses me, if I may say, when political commentators speak about Labour's traditional level of support as if there was some sort of bedrock or, uh, you know, or, or benchmark for any political party. That's not the case. You know, we fight for every vote. We don't take any, you know, base of support for granted and nor should any political party. You know, in a democracy, we fight, we fight and we make the case for every vote that we win. And there's no line of votes that we can rely upon or expect. And indeed, if you look back at Labour's history, you, you say, you know, there were the, the blips, I suppose, Pat, as you've put it, in 92 and in 2011. You know, in, in fact, there is no straight line graph or even no, a predictable I mean, in graph about 10% in politics. Is what well, Labour you know, would normally again, get. And after say, those two elections, well, it reverted back. You know, again, if you look back in, you know, sort of the original history of Labour and Labour standing back, of course, from that first historic election uh, in 1918, you know, and, and Labour then doing very well and then doing very badly. So there's, there's been, you know, it, it's always been contingent on external events and on context, as, as will the next election be. So I don't think we can take anything for granted, but nor do I think we can assume that the poll, just because polls are showing a particular level for us now, that's what will happen. But I think, you know, the other thing is to focus on polls misses the point about the real issues and the real appetite there among people I'm meeting for change. And we can certainly talk about that. And yet, I mean, listening listening to you talk there, I'm I'm struck by the fact that, you know, we we published some poll results as part of the the North and South project, which I referred to at the the top of the podcast there. And one of the most striking things I saw in that was that 70% of the electorate in the Republic um, described themselves as either um, fairly or very left-wing. You know, they, they were slightly mind-boggling numbers. 28% of Fine Gael voters apparently regard themselves as very left-wing, which is which is a number we need to dig into a bit more. But I think there is a broad acceptance, I've heard you say it, Pat, that the electorate has moved to the left. And you see that in support for a variety of parties, not just Labour. So the electorate has changed totally. But it does seem taking on board all your caveats about the polls, that Labour hasn't succeeded in in profiting from that. Well, it was certainly a very interesting and very heartening result to see such strong support, um, such a strong um, majority identifying as left of centre and identifying with that sort of social democratic vision. In some ways, I suppose it's not surprising coming through COVID where we've seen the power of the state harnessed so effectively to bring us, for example, really strong state intervention on a rollout of a vaccination programme, the rollout of uh, pandemic unemployment and other supports. But what we in Labour have been saying is that that strong social democratic um, uh, message, that strong social democratic policy should now be brought to bear on all of the major crises that in seven years of prosperity, the current government, or the two governing, key governing parties, I suppose, haven't managed to address, which is, of course, the housing cr- crisis, rightly described by Michael D. Higgins as a housing disaster. You know, the healthcare crisis, the lack of, af- of availability of childcare places. These are the key issues that really matter to people. And that's where, you know, the Labour message and the strong Labour values of uh, state intervention, of support for state intervention, to support those in work and to support uh, what we call, you know, the social wage to ensure that people have access free at the point of of need to services in healthcare and education. And those are principles which would be shared broadly by the Social Democrats, Sinn Féin, probably most of the Green Party, a large number of left-wing independents, the Socialist Party, people before profit. A chunk I mean, of Fianna Fáil. It seems like, you know, if everybody's a Social Democrat, well, you know, some people might say then nobody's really a Social well, Democrat, except maybe the original well, Social Democrats that, is what you'd say. <laughs> well, we are the original Social yeah. Democratic and Socialist Party. And over the years, of course, there, again, just to come back to that point about baseline Labour, of course, there have been many other parties that have formed or that have been thinking back to, you know, when I joined Labour, 
Labour Workers' Party were very much, uh, very much active and then became DL and then, of course, we, we merged. So, you know, there, but, but through all of that, we've never seen an Election, an, an election which has resulted in the election of a left-wing government. And I think, you know, that for me remains a, a guiding mission, a guiding aim. And is goal. that not now within is, grasp for the first time? Well, let's see. You know, again, as I say, that, that poll was heartening to see how many people identified with, with the need for strong state intervention. And I think the seven wasted years of prosperity we've seen with Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael certainly should indicate to people that there's a need for a really strong case for state intervention in, in housing because we know the market knows all policies of Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael have simply not delivered sufficient levels of housing, of any sort of housing, particularly social and affordable. And we're seeing so many people now in homelessness, so many 3,400 children in homelessness shocking figures and you know I hear this every day in my own constituency around the country I hear it people's concerns about getting a home, you know, meeting with business as well, you know, IBEC even coming out now and saying and calling for state intervention in the market because they can't recruit, uh, they can't recruit new talent here, they can't recruit staff, they're worried about uh, um, the prospects for employment in Ireland because of housing, because of a lack of housing and, and that sort of social infrastructure. And that's the message we in Labour want to, want to really drive But that's drive the message home. that everybody, including, as you say, IBEC is going on. How hard is it for you and for Labour to be distinctive when everybody else in the opposition and a good chunk of the government are saying the exact same things? Well, I think it's about delivery. I think what marks Labour... We can't deliver in opposition. Well, we can't, no, but we have a track record of going into government and being serious about delivering change. So, yes, there have been many voices on the left over the years who've called for change, but Labour has a track record of delivering progressive change. If you look back at the history of progressive change on economic and social issues, and I argue always that the two are very closely interlinked, we'll see that Labour was key to the delivery of those on issues around, you know, around uh, supports for single parents, in, back with Frank, Klusky on issues like divorce, like abortion and contraception with Mary Robinson, with uh, Dick Spring delivering and Eamon Gilmore on marriage equality. So if we look at all of those you know, points of progress. We see Labour has a record of delivering. And that marks us out in terms of the of what we've done. Absolutely, our message on social democratic and socialist values, our messages on care, on climate, on housing, on jobs, those messages, you know, are, certainly some of the policies are shared with other opposition parties, that's for sure. But again, we have a record of working with other opposition parties. And in the Shannon, I was able to bring in more private members' bills into law than any other senator from opposition just because of that collaborative approach. We'll work with other parties, we'll work with independents, but we do have a record of delivering on change. And our, our message has remained consistent and our ideologies remain consistent. But I suppose Pat's point is without a point of difference it becomes very difficult to to grow from that you know that, that, that low poll rating. Well, as I say, you know, we're certainly seeing new members coming forward, new candidates coming forward and an appetite for that Labour message of change, which has remained a consistent message consistently from our trade union origins and consistently from our championing of workers' rights and of progressive change. That has remained consistent. And that's what I think attracts people to Labour. But, you know, for me, it's I'm not in it for a, par- for a particular party. I'm in politics because I want to see change and I want to see change through support, growing support for Labour values of equality solidarity and fairness across society. So, you know, we'll work with anyone to deliver that change, to seek to deliver it. Um, and, you know, as I say, I'm heartened by the the numbers who turn up to our meetings. You know, you talk about measures of, of, uh, of growth, of success, the numbers who come to our meetings, the numbers of new members joining. That's all very heartening to see. And, you know, we're looking 
in our in the next local and Europeans to grow our representation. We had a very good local election in 2019. We've 56 sitting councillors and tre- more than 25 new local area representatives coming forward. So, you know, that I think itself is testament. And again, it's, you know, it's hard, hard electoral data that can't be argued with, but it's evidence of the longevity and the consistency of Labour's But you accept the that there's a challenge. I mean, we, we did a podcast last week when we were looking ahead to 2024, which is yes. set to be a year of elections, you know. So um, it seems, yes. It's going to be highly competitive, probably, you know, more competitive than any Irish election previously in terms of the, the numbers of parties competing in a real way for 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 actual seats uh, in, in an election. We we don't know what the configuration of the constituencies will be. Well, yeah, Coming from a very question. low base, as you say, you have a you have a number of people in the Shannon and a number of people, presumably, who are building a profile at, at, at local level. But it's, it's going to be tough to increase your numbers in the doll, isn't it? Well, look, every election is tough. And we've been, certainly in Labour, we've a fair share, and myself personally, of tough elections. But, you know, we're up for it. We're up for the fight. And we'll be certainly bringing the fight to the to the government, and as we have been doing in the doll. And I do think, Hugh, we're punching above our weight in terms of doll numbers, a team of seven in the doll and four brilliant senators as well in the Shannon. Uh, and, you know, what we've been doing has been really consistently holding government to account and making a difference on policies, on policies policies we've brought forward, like policies on renters' rights, which we really pushed hard with government on, on policies like sick pay, like flexible working, like reproductive health leave, where we're going to see change as a result of labour interventions. And that's from opposition. So I do think as a as a relatively small parliamentary team, certainly smaller than we've been in the past, we still managed to make a strong and vocal intervention on a range of issues. We'll continue this conversation with Ivana Bacic after this break. Pat, I take Ivana's point about, you know, the historical Labour, you know, 10% is not necessarily be counted on. But Labour did have, you know, traditionally had seats in the urban parts of Cork in places like Limerick, um, as well as in working class areas of Dublin. And it's it's more or less been wiped out there, hasn't it? Do you think it can claw its way back into contention for for seats in those sort of constituencies? I think it can in some of those places, as Ivana will be acutely aware, um, Irish electoral contests are not just about the party. In great measure, they're about the individual candidates. And the challenge for a small party, I mean, Ivana's right that I often make the point in our coverage of our own polls that when it comes to small parties, national polls aren't necessarily the best measure of them because what they rely on is strong candidates in a handful of constituencies uh, which, uh, you know, uh, gain outsized proportions of the votes by reference to the party's national standing and then can compete for seats. I mean, obviously, if, you know, Labour are 4 or 5%, if they get that in every constituency, they'll have no TDs, you know. But, uh, you know, they need to be getting 10 to 15% in various constituencies, um, which I guess means they'll get less uh, They'll get less in others. But so, for example, I, I, you were focusing previously on the SOC Dems, but it strikes me when I look at a certain, there's a certain type of Labour support that seems to me to have migrated to the Greens in certain Dublin constituencies. So Some of it's migrated. Some of it's gone to the Social Democrats, some of it has gone to left-wing independents, people like the seat that was held by Michael D. Higgins for so long in Galway is now held by Catherine Connolly. And I think if there is to be a broader left-wing force, parliamentary force, that is the non-Sinn Féin part of the what is now the opposition, if you like, then that will require 
collaboration or merger between Labour's Social Democrats and bringing in some of those left-wing independents, which would give you the sort of parliamentary clout and scale that none of them have separately uh, at the moment. What do you think of that, Ivana? Well, of course, I love Pat's vision of a red-green alliance. And to me, that's the, you know, I've always considered myself a green-red and environmental socialist. And uh, I always vote green uh, on transfers from Labour, the beauty of our PRSTV system. So I do think that there is real potential there to grow uh, support for that for that message and for those values and certainly you know opinion polls do show absolutely rightly huge concern particularly among younger voters around the environment around the, the government's failures to meet its own targets and you know again in Labour we're seeking to ensure constructive opposition so we've supported ambitious targets we've supported the carbon tax we don't take a populist approach particularly on climate issues where it's so important that we're all working together with a common mission of, set, of the net zero by 2050 but, uh, but you know we're seeing missed targets and a failure to deliver from government, even where there is opposition support and opposition goodwill, consistently late delivery on climate action plans and on the sectoral emission target you know, detail that we need, consistently delays on bringing forward, for instance, the key infrastructure that's needed to deliver the offshore wind generation capacity. And that's, you know, that's going to be, it should be a game changer for us to meet our emission targets, but we just haven't seen it come forward. But, you know, we'll work with government to try and achieve that. Uh, and certainly, you know, my ideal of government is that government that offers an alt- uh, that alternative, constructive and positive centre-left message of change that's also a green message. I'm, you know, I was uh, delighted to uh, meet my my uh, colleague and counterpart, Keir Starmer, uh, back in December in London and before that to attend the British Labour Conference in Liverpool. And the British Labour message is so clearly a social democratic and green message for a fairer, greener future. It's a superb slogan. And, you know, I must say Keir Starmer is a leader who had spent a lot of time rebuilding internally, reunifying his party. And now we're seeing, I think, that come to fruition. Certainly the Liverpool conference was so united and, you know, such a strong uh, message of constructive change. I, I I find that a very positive, uh, I suppose, a very positive model. For so Keir Starmer has left. managed to put together the pieces of really what was quite a disastrous election for Labour in 2019 and in relatively short order in a couple of years yes. with plenty of assistance be it said from the Conservative Party uh, he has managed to, to to give the party a very a commanding lead at the polls with the expectation that it'll it'll win the next election how did he manage to do that so quickly and why is it that Irish Labour is still labouring to some extent under the burden of the 2011-2016 government record? Well first of all I'd I think Keir himself and anyone around him would would uh, not say that had happened quickly. It seemed to take forever, and they were being castigated and criticised widely for and maybe things just happened quicker for, over for, there fa- for failing to make change. Well, actually, for failing to make change more quickly, given the disarray the Tories were in for so long. So I think uh, I don't think it felt like it was a quick change for them. But certainly, it's been impressive to see how that very traditionally disunited British Labour Party has now become united. Um, how do we, uh, obviously, you know, very different uh, context. For, for them and for us. And, you know, we've talked a bit about the history of Labour's origins here in Ireland. And of course, we won't rehash the civil war politics, but certainly things are changing here. When we see Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael in government together, you know, and previously supporting each other in a in the, um, that, the, the arrangement from 2016 to 2020, that was that remarked a seismic shift in Irish politics. And I hope from that, and I, I anticipate from that, we will see a growth of a strong, of a, a stronger identification with a left alternative to that right-wing politics of Fianna Fáil, Fine Gael. Uh, and, you know, I think that gives the potential to deliver that red-green government that will, will deliver more equal. But if you, want, if you want the voters to go for a broad 
left government, then you have to, there has to be some measure of parliamentary and political cooperation between the various elements of the uh, of the left, which we don't well, we really are. see at the moment. Well, we are, absolutely. We work all the time in, in collaboration with... Uh, Would you like to merge with opposition. the Social Democrats? Well, we work, I've always said I'll work collaboratively with colleagues of all parties and none to deliver a change on the policies we believe in. So where there's commonality, of course we work with them. We always engage with uh, with uh, le- other legislators, other representatives across the floor. And that's, that's a really important part of the parliamentary process. And we're doing that all the time. But obviously we fight each election as a standalone party, you know, and my mission travelling around the country and doing public meetings all over is to grow support for Labour and for Labour values particularly and we'll see then you know what transpires in the election as you said we're waiting on the Constituency Commission of course to see what um, the Boundary Commission to see what the final redrawing of constituencies are but we're actively in the process of of, uh, seeking out new candidates of recruiting candidates particularly women and you know we may well have a have some have some electoral uh, contest albeit not uh, not a general election this year I think with the referendum on equality um, I was proud to chair the Gender Equality Committee last year, the Oireachtas Committee, that in December delivered a report to government recommending a wording for constitutional change to um, to remove the sexist language around women and mothers from Article 41 and to create a more inclusive definition of family and a recognition of the value of care. And, you know, this is a rec- referendum that has been long anticipated. And, you know, just this week now, the Taoiseach has confirmed to me that they are going to move on it swiftly. So, you know, it would be great, I think, to see that referendum campaign. And I know that Labour activists will be very much to the fore in, in campaigning for an equality referendum. That clearly has great symbolic power. Did, will it have any effect on anybody's life in Ireland? I think it will, yeah. I think it will. We'll see, for example, a... Um, you know, anyone who takes a case to the courts uh, and we've seen very a very tragic case of Johnny O'Mara, who, who we in Labour have been supporting, who's from Tipperary and who was left uh, very sadly bereaved when his partner of many years died, leaving him with three children. But because they hadn't married, he couldn't qualify for state supports as a widower because he wasn't regarded as, as a widower because they weren't married. And, and that, that in itself, Hugh, illustrates the difficulty with having a constitutional definition of family that's confined to the family based on marriage is that there was nowhere to go with that case and he and 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 Johnny O'Mara's case didn't succeed as a result so that's one very tangible way we can change outcomes for people by giving recognition to families beyond just the family based on marriage if it were to come to it and if there's discussions in which Labour might be involved about forming a left-wing government, that clearly after the next election would have to include Sinn Féin. You describe Sinn Féin as a populist party. Indeed, some Sinn Féin members have described it as such. How do you define populism? Well, I think the key thing, the key ideology for Sinn Féin, as I think they would acknowledge too, is nationalism. So for us in Labour as an internationalist party, that's not a philosophy that is our driving force. Clearly not. For us, the driving force is to ensure equality on the on the island of Ireland, equality for all. But And, you know, I've described myself as a Connollyite Republican, so I do want to see unification. But it's not for an end in itself. It's not for a fourth green field. It's because I want to see uh, improvement of workers' rights, of rights of all working people across the island. And, you know, so it's socialism, social democracy, that's our defining value. Whereas for Sinn Féin, nationalism has always been their raison d'etre, their defining value. And could I think you that sign up, but just on that point, could yeah. you then sign up to a programme for government that was avowedly nationalist and anti-partitionist in its uh, in its central driving force that would seek to have a unity referendum in the lifetime of that government. Well, I think 
you know, what we learn in labour from past experiences, we shouldn't sign up to any programme for government unless we have the critical mass needed to deliver on the key policies for us. And for us, that, you know, nationalism is not, as I've said, our driving force. No, so but would it be an the- acceptable price for other policies that you might want to see? I, I can't see it, Pat, frankly, but, you know, I think we would, as I say... Sorry, learning, just to clarify, you can't see that you would sign up to I that programme for government? I can't see I would sign up to a programme where nationalism was the driving force behind all the policies, well, say if that, that's what you say. That, that I, I would think, have as one of its central goals a unity referendum within the lifetime of that government? Well, I've certainly said I want to see a unity referendum, but I want to see the groundwork laid very carefully. And in fact, in your paper, I wrote a piece some months ago about the sort of groundwork that I believe is necessary before any unity unification referendum could be contemplated. And that would be a white paper and a green paper process. That, that no, I'm sure all that could be yeah, done within five years, indeed, couldn't it? citizens' assemblies. Well, we'll see. And certainly with the right will, I think the groundwork could be laid over a period of a few years. But I think the key question for us on any programme for government negotiation would be can we deliver on the key policies that we put forward around housing, around childcare and healthcare, around climate and around work and workers' rights. And, you know, these are the key, but that, our key that, driving forces. Yeah, so, just to be clear, and sorry, you, I'm hogging your, uh, your role here, no, but that's that's, why you're here, that sounds to me like a conditional, yes, you could agree a programme for government with Sinn Féin that wanted to see and undertook to push for a unity referendum within the lifetime of that government. Well, that, I've said before... That, do I understand I've, you correctly? I've said before, I would be personally... I have personal difficulty with going into government with Sinn Féin and, you know, I've been very clear on that, precisely because of that nationalist driving force, precisely because on populist... I, I view many of their policies yeah, as populist. Yeah, but could populist. you overcome that difficulty... Because all politics is compromise. Yeah. Could well, you overcome that difficulty let's, to achieve? Let's say I have difficulties with a party calling itself left-wing that is opposed to a property tax, a tax on wealth, a tax on assets, and that's opposed to a carbon tax because then I don't think they're taking environment seriously. So I think there are some very major obstacles that would have to be overcome. You know, so my focus has to remain on building and growing support for labour and for labour values and for our labour policies of e- on equality and particularly on housing, on care, on climate, on work. And that that's the key driving force for me. And, you know, to look at what other parties are saying or doing is not now our focus and can't be. We have to we have to focus on no, growing and building our people have a right own. to know when they vote for you, what your red lines are otherwise in the process that will take place after that election. Well, we'll put, we've absolutely put forward in our budget in 20, our budget of last uh, October, uh, budget 2023, we put forward very clear sets of policies on those core issues for I mean. us. Yeah. And, you know, we, as I say, we learn from the past. We know that we should, that we won't go into any government unless we have a critical mass that can can enable us to deliver on the core policies for Labour. That's the learning, I think, that, that, uh, but that, you know, that we will you, bring you, to you any negotiation. You arguably had that critical mass in 2011 and you're quite unlikely to have that critical mass in 2024, after the election in 2024, unless there's some extraordinary turnaround. Yes, we had certainly a, a large number of seats in 2011 relatively but of course 2011 was also an election that took place when Ireland was economically bankrupt when we'd lost our economic sovereignty so I think there was an unprecedented economic context for that government of 2011 to 16 and certainly uh, coming out of government in 2016 prosperity had been restored but what we've seen since 2016 has been seven wasted years now of failures by Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael to use the prosperity, to use the budget surpluses to invest in some 
social and affordable housing, to invest in healthcare, to deliver on Slauncher Care and the unified, you know, universal healthcare model we should see, and to invest in a public system of childcare. And we're glaringly out of line with other European countries on our failure to provide for children at preschool age, failures to deliver an early years education. It is a burning issue for parents across the country. I hear it all the time in my own constituency and across uh, towns, cities and and, uh, and rural areas. So, you know, these are the, this is the, the, and we're now seeing the failures to invest those budget surpluses and what that's doing to our infrastructure. It's it's crumbling. And, you know, we, in the face of the uh, appalling Russian invasion of Ukraine, you know, that we haven't seen the sort of level of coordinating pla- coordinated planning that's needed to deliver accommodation for all, for those who are come here seeking refuge as well as for uh, those who are in, 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 uh, featuring in our homelessness figures. Pardon me for being rude, but I'm being rude, but I'm going to ask Pat about what he thinks of your answer about the uh, the coalition. Pat, it seems to me that it is it would be silly for any political leader and for Ivana in this context to rule out or rule anything in when it regards to negotiating a government after the next general election at this point. She can do, she can do no other, can she? Yeah, I mean, I I think Ivana can contradict me, of course, if um, oh, if my understanding of her is uh, of what she said uh, is wrong. But I think she is open for business, but she's going to drive as hard a bargain as she possibly can um, with with. Uh, with Sinn Féin or indeed with anyone else. It strikes me that many of the uh, many of the kind of sort of policy red lines that you were talking about there in terms of the objective of the policies that you might um, uh, that, that, that you might like to see in the next programme for government are already being pursued, you will no doubt say ineffectively by the current government. Well, I've, as I've said, my aim and my vision is to deliver on a red-green Ireland, red-green government for Ireland. Sure, yeah. there's two types of green in Irish politics. Of well, I'm talking about environmental right. green, just to yeah, be clear, yeah. Pat, not the other kind. <laughs> so, you know, I want to see a bill, a growth of the of support for the centre-left alternative for socialist and social democratic parties. Clearly, for us as the party of the trade union movement, in alliance, I hope with Green Party, with the environmentalists, and indeed with but with, uh, with smaller uh, left parties. Sinn Fein would have to be part of that. Well, as I've said, Sinn Féin's policies on on a number of issues, I think, mean it would not be left-wing policies, you know. But as I say, we work with colleagues of all parties and none to deliver on com- on common areas of of where we agree on policy. And indeed, we'll we'll be constructive in terms of working with government on different issues. I'm working with government currently on the Dublin Bay Bill and bringing forward legislation to protect and enhance the wonderful amenity of Dublin Bay. And that's an area where we see we see a real cross-party consensus. Similarly, on the gender equality referendum. So you know, let's, it, it, it seems, it, it seems to me, try to interpret that, that, having too many angels on the end of a pin, is that really the an ideal or one outcome after the next election subject to the performance of parties is a strong centre-left alliance or whatever you may want to call it that might include Labour, the Sock Dems and the Greens and perhaps some independents that can negotiate from some position of strength whether it be with Sinn Féin or whether it be with Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael to actually, you know, exert some real influence in the in the, in the next government. Well, as I say, that's the for me, that's my you know, that is my ideal government and that's the sort of collaboration that I think is going to it would be most productive and constructive would be a collaboration between clearly centre-left parties, between social democratic socialist parties and Green Party Green Party as it now is, but also, you know, there also in the Dáil currently and indeed in the Shannon too. Um so 
sizable numbers of independents. And I think we've seen in the past um, independent groupings coming together to ha- have quite a strong presence in different and governments. And that could be a kingmaker uh, uh, and could be the government that got to, or it could be a, a bloc that got to auction its support as between Fine Gael, Sinn Féin and uh, Fianna Fáil after the next election. But to do that effectively, it would need to uh, negotiate with a, uh, with a single mandate and, uh, and insofar as possible, a single voice. But there is no, it seems to me, there is no sign of uh, of that happening. And judging by what Ivana said earlier, there is no, it's not on the horizon either. Well, you know, uh, as I've said, we've seen unprecedented change in recent years in Irish politics with the coming together of Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael. So I think it's it's very difficult to predict in advance how, obviously, how an election will run in a particular time. But, you know, again, my focus is on ensuring that we will have a strong plank, a strong team of Labour candidates going forward to the next elections, whenever that may be. And we know, of course, the local and Europeans will be in May 24. We don't yet know when the general election will be, but we are growing our numbers of candidates uh, currently with a view to having that strong, uh, a strong alternative choice available to electorate in as many constituencies as we can so that we can achieve that critical mass of, uh, of, of, of uh, representatives. But it's about trying to grow support for Labour values and to deliver change on those values and See, policies, isn't, however isn't one we of the can. problems, um, and I know when you talk about Labour values, which one of your favourite refrains, that there's lots of support for, la- for Labour values. The problem for Labour is there isn't so much support for Labour. Well, you know, we didn't. We saw in the last election support for a different party. Certainly, I think since the last election and going through the COVID pandemic, and again, you know, you referred to that opinion poll about people identifying as left wing. I think there has been a change, and I think part of that change has also been exacerbated by Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael going into government together. So we now have the two centre right parties uh, for the first time in a formal coalition, and I think that will have a really significant impact on the next election, and that's why we want to, in in the interim period before that election, ensure that we're doing as much as we can to grow support for the Labour message. I know you're going to uh, you're going to say, I'm going to say Labour values again. Well, I am, you know, that's why I became a political activist. That's why I started in the Students' Union all those years ago in Trinity. And, and you know, for me then, Labour was the obvious party to join because it was the party of the trade union movement. It was the party that had always been serious about delivering change and that had always, and that had a record of delivering on that change. I was never content to sit on the sidelines as, as many of my contemporaries were on the left, you know, and to say nobody's left-wing enough for me. I think it is, politics is about the art of, of of actually constructively delivering change. So working collaboratively and constructively. You know, I've said I don't like shouty politics. I, you know, of course we, we have to be adversarial. You know, I can be adversarial and, uh, and that's fine. But, you know, and we have to make our case strongly and take the fight to our opponents. But at the same time, it is about being constructive, about trying to deliver change rather than just being negative or nihilistic or destructive from opposition. And I think that's something that, again, there was, we saw real appetite in the Dublin Bay South by-election. We heard that consistently from people. They didn't like just the constant barracking and shouting between uh, Fine Gael and Sinn Féin that was going on at that time. And rather they wanted to see a more thoughtful and a more positive and constructive style of politics and a more constructive message. Of change. So recognizing, acknowledging that optimism and that pragmatism in the in the pursuit of in, in the pursuit of real change, can I ask the the contrary question, which is that Labour's been around for the history of the whole state, but it is not beyond the bounds of possibility that Labour will disappear. It doesn't have any right to exist. Plenty of other political parties have disappeared over the course of the last hundred years, and in fact, we've seen you know places like France. We've seen your sister parties virtually disappear in some con in in, in some contest. Do you ever wake up in the middle of the night and? look into the dark void and say, what if I'm the last leader of the Labour Party? 
Um, I don't, you no. Um, although I do agree, of course, in a democracy, no political party has a right to exist, and we've and every political representative has to fight for every vote, and we're very conscious of that. I think, you know, I was proud to represent Labour at the Party of European Socialist Congress in Berlin last year, and uh, to meet many representatives of sister parties, and and some are in government. Uh, obviously, in Germany, we see the Social Democrats in government, in Portugal, in Spain, in Finland, um, but you know. We also met with uh, the outgoing Swedish Prime Minister, Magdalena Andersson, and, you know, Swedish Social Democrats lost power, not because they lost support, but because the centre-right went in with the far-right and, you know, really, really concerning, actually, to see what's happening in Sweden. So I think, you know, if if anything, that, you know, hearing the experiences of other social democratic leaders in our in our international alliance that has galvanized me and i think galvanizes my comrades more to ensure that we uh, that we keep to making the case for labor and we keep making the case for labor uh, for the labor policies that we want to see delivered and the labor change we want to see so you know of course no party has a right to exist but there is a strong international tradition of social democracy, of socialism. We're part of that big international network. You know, again, that's unique among um, parties uh, of the of the left in Ireland, you know, that we're part of the Party of European Socialists and the Socialist International. So that's something I'm really proud of. And, you know, I've been really keen to grow our international links, grow links with our sister party, of course, in the north with the SDLP, because we want to see a 32, you know, across the 32 counties, a social democratic movement. And, you know, the trade union movement has traditionally organised across the island. So, so you could have a Social Democratic Labour Party across 32 counties. Well, I was delighted to be up in Belfast canvassing with the social the, the SDLP candidates in uh, the last election. I'll be up there again and we work very closely with them. We'll leave it there. Thanks very much indeed, Ivana, for coming in. Thanks also to Pat for joining us. Thanks to our producer, Declan Conlon. Uh, we'll be back at you very soon indeed. But until then, thank you very much indeed for listening. <laughs>